today what we had planned is we want to kind of try our best to give some um, expression, to give some words to what many of us might have bouncing around in our brains on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, I, I think this is true for many people, it feels true for me, that I, I, like the pace of life doesn't actually give me the luxury to necessarily think about this. So, you know, many of us, maybe we have a more personal tie to what happened. There's something around the circumstances about what happened on September 11, 2001, that like we can't help but not think about it. And that is, that absolutely may be some of us in this church. But then others of us, like, I mean, it was a normal week, right? And we had work to do. And we had, if you have kids, you had kids to watch. And you had all of the normal things that are going on in life. And so, like, did we even slow down to think about it? What, what do you even say, think, or pray at a time like this? And so our thought was we would try to make that, I don't know, like maybe make that easier or, or, or give some words to that. Um, so, Haley, um, maybe to begin, what, what memories do you have of September 11th, or remembering September 11th. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember being in school and had just gotten to class. Um, and I think for me, remembering has been more of um, the feelings that I absorbed mm. from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty young when all yes, of this took absorbing place. absorbing feelings from other so, like what, what are the other adults around me doing? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. it was a lot of um, picking up on the anxiety and fear um, and confusion that was taking place. Um, my mom came and got me pretty quickly um, mm. after getting there, and I so remember like school, school like was canceled or something. Or? Yeah, I think what happened was um, parents were just dismissing their kids to have them at home okay. with them. Um, I remember being annoyed because there must have been something going on at school later that day that was supposed to be really fun. Mm. I was like, oh, I have to go home. Okay. Um, but the continuing to just absorb those feelings of Mm. anxiousness. Um, There was, in my family, we weren't sure if my um, uncle was at the Pentagon, but he happened to be overseas. Wow. Um, We had family in New York City, and so there was some of the, like, the impact of that, too, and experiencing that anxiety on a more, like, familial level. And I think after that, what I saw was this increased sense of um, God bless America and ribbons on everything. Um, And as I've gotten older... I've seen more of kind of um, re-remembering what took place Hmm. and being able to hold the tension of the absolute tragedy and the tragedies that followed. Yeah, 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 that makes a lot of sense. I'm, so I I grew up here in the Chicago area, but you you grew up on the East Coast. Mm -hmm, Yeah. I do remember, like, some of my memories are, um, I, I was also in school, I remember being in passing period and, like, starting to, like, hear people talk about things and be like, what? Like, a, you know, a, a plane hit a, you know the towers in, in New York, and, and being really, and then and then hearing like, oh, and, and something happened in Pentagon, and then something happened in Philadelphia, and it was like, like what? And I remember also observing lots of adult reactions and uh, how like we we continued through school, mm-hmm. um, and I remember some teachers like stopped what we were doing and you know wanted to address what was going on. Other teachers were like, there's no real way through this, so let's do some fractions, and <laughs> that was interesting. Um, but I'm curious because I do, I do remember feeling like a level of like, um, because we were in Chicago, some level of like, oh, you know, like is something else going to happen mm-hmm. as, as it was still so unclear and it seemed like a coordinated thing. And you're on the East Coast and I'm wondering like, mm-hmm. did, you, did, did you feel that at all? Or like, did they, like do you, 
or did any of the adults around you feel because I, you know, like just you're you're closer to the water than we are here in Chicago? Yeah, I think that there was just this continued sense of fear, and I've experienced yeah. it in a lot of other major events yeah. too, um, the Boston Marathon bombings right, and all yeah, of that. Like yeah. there, are these massive tragedies where I think just the ongoing fear. Mm -hmm. um, some of this too is kind of this big question of like, well, when is this going to end? Yeah. How many people is this going to impact? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the ongoing impact that we've observed is far bigger than centering the experience here in the just United of, States. Exactly, yeah. just of the people that were affected that day. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think fear is definitely gonna be a theme that we continue on as mm -hmm. we go on today. Um, I'm curious just to, if, any, if anybody does have like um, memories coming to mind for them, one thought we had was that this could this could be a place to just kind of put some of those memories. If that would feel useful to you or if that would feel helpful to you to participate, feel free to use our chat to do that. And we're um, you know, we curious to hear, like, what do you remember from that day or what do you remember just from anniversaries past of September 11th? Um, you know, in the years, in the years since, um, I think when we remember 9-11, we, ha we have sort of like two things at once. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, we have like some of the truest pictures some of those beautiful pictures of humanity, of like people finding a higher power or finding, you know, in community, in God, mm -hmm. um, to make it in the face of pain, make it in the face of like real, like real fear and, yeah. and, and, and scary things. Um, we have stories of self-sacrifice and things like that. But on the other hand, um, you have some of the worst distortions of humanity, of, mm -hmm. of theology, um, as, as, as the prayer that we're praying this morning is getting us to activate, you know, the ways religion has been used to, um, to, to defend some of the worst sorts of nationalism, scapegoating, yeah. uh, particularly of Muslim Americans. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, we, have, we have to hold those two things at once when we remember. And so like I, I'm on, on one hand, you know, I, kinda, I think the idea is we kind of bounce back and forth between them, you know, yeah. like I, I, I'm feeling over here, but then I can't feel over there too much, I have to jump over. So like on the beautiful side, um, you and I were talking about this. Um, uh, there, there was a, uh, a journalist shortly after 9/11 named uh, James Stewart, who uh, for who writes for the New Yorker, and um, he was struck after uh, in sort of the immediate aftermath of 9/11 um, by uh, seeing in the South Tower um, there were in, in certain areas there were just enormously tragic death tolls from 9/11, and. Um, and he, as he was sort of like looking at this and, you know, and, and he's a journalist and so he's looking for, you know, how can I, how can I improve people's understanding or, you know, and contribute in some way to uh, everybody know what's going on here. And he was struck by the fact that he found that one office in particular, Morgan Stanley's office, just, you know, one office that happened to be in the South Tower of the World Trade Center had like had a death toll that was way less than mm -hmm. any of the other death tolls. It was like this, like what what happened there? What was what was the what was the hope or the or the thing that 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 saved these people? Were they in a certain part of the building that that made? It? But he just wanted to know what happened. Why was Morgan Stanley so different from such like tragic numbers all the way around? As you looked at what what happened to all of these people who happened to have offices in the World Trade Center that day. And what uh, James Stewart discovered uh, as he investigated um, and as he talked to many of those survivors was that there was one guy, a guy named Rick Rescorla, and he was a security guard um, for Morgan Stanley. And evidently, he just had such 
a like jump into leadership and self-sacrifice mode to make sure that people got out, that people were as safe as possible. And he like leapt into action and so many people that, that uh, this journalist interviewed said like he is the reason mm -hmm. that we were okay, that we made it. And Rick Rascoli did not make it. And, and if you can find the New Yorker article, it's, it's just really beautiful because the story is told as a love story. You actually don't even realize that it's about 9-11. Uh, until uh, a moment later, uh, when you when like when you're into the into the uh, the article a bit, but it's it's written as a love story between Rick and his wife that met later in life, and uh, and then you suddenly realize where it's going as you realize that he mm -hmm. that he works at the World Trade Center. Um, anyway, so like that is that is part of the collective memory, right, of 9/11, this beautiful story of of self-sacrifice, and then on the troubling side. You know, we have images of George W. Bush like visiting the rubble of, uh, at Ground Zero and saying on a bullhorn, all but explicitly, we're going to get revenge on, uh, on what happened. You know, the President of the United States using phraseology that, that evokes revenge. And I mean, there is like, we, we, we prayed uh, a prayer that was written by the, the national campaign against torture. And how can we not think about the fact that like Guantanamo Bay exists because of 9-11? Mm -hmm. And this has been this way to justify US-sponsored torture. And so I'm gonna bounce back and forth, right? Like I cannot just stay in one, I cannot just stay in the beautiful memories. I can't just stay in the really scary, like really troubling, really like distorted pictures of humanity. So I, I suppose where, like, where that leaves me and where, like, where I want to take that, if that's where we are, if we're bouncing back and forth between how this activated some you know, deep part of who we are as we, as we walk through pain together, mm -hmm. and also how it activates the worst parts of who we are and how we justify the worst, uh, the worst behaviors. Um, I don't know, like, I, I thought we could bat around some, like, very big questions yeah. <laughs> around that. Um, the the first one I, I was just like, maybe I'll throw it out there and we'll just see where it goes, is like, what do we pray? What do we pray when that's where we are? Yeah. And we have both of those things. That, like, I feel like I have to, but God knows what do I pray? And I'd actually say, I don't, I think sometimes we don't pray. Hmm. Um, for some of us in the wake of tragedy and when massive things happen, whether it's on a personal or communal or national level, we don't have words. And I think most of us don't have words, but for some of us, it might be a natural place to go to prayer. And for others, it can be really forced, especially yeah. if prayer has been used as a tool of some type of invalidation. Um, the whole like thoughts and prayers thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where prayer can feel really dismissive. Hmm. So as I was thinking about this hmm. more, I think sometimes, sometimes we just don't pray and I think yeah. that that's okay yeah um wait can you tease that out a little bit more like what I, that feels deeply yeah. spiritually true in a, in a way that it, you know it's, it's paradoxical but like it why is that the case um well I think that there's so much here to unpack about what prayer actually is hmm. um but there's so much that we can experience in the silence and the distance hmm. um perceived distance from from others um even a perceived distance from God, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I think that there are things that will draw us back into conversation. Mm. But when you don't have words, mm. um, 
when you're not sure how to even conceptualize yeah. where God may be in yeah. this, yeah. Um, maybe there's just there's something to just being able to stay in that humble place um, for a little longer to not rush into prayer. Yeah. Um, I was talking with someone recently who's been going through some traumatic events and has said, like, I just, I feel really bad because I can't pray right now. And that was my gut reaction of, like, then don't. Yeah, And it yeah. feels really strange to say. As, um, like, a spiritual authority. Yeah. Don't, don't pray. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that there Everybody, will, don't, don't pray. pray. No, that's not the message here. But I think that there will always be others to carry you through prayer. Right. Like, that's the communal oh, that's aspect very good. of it. That's very good. So, so yeah. We almost have our two individualistic lenses on, where it's yeah. like the entire weight of the world and the entire weight of like meaning in my life and the entire weight of making sense of the pain that I feel or the pain that I'm witnessing and can't comprehend all comes down to me. Yeah. That's what you're encouraging when you say, don't yeah. pray. Let others pray. Yeah, or even liturgical prayers that are written. Oh, yeah. There are, yeah. Some, there are some times where those words may not feel true, but there's yes. something you hope for. Yes. And when you're saying them, it might not actually even feel like prayer, but there are those around you that are praying them, and that feels really prayerful. Um, how many times can I use prayer, prayer. in a sentence? <laughs> but I think the other piece of it, too, um, that's maybe a step into like being able to pray yeah. is being able to pray questions and not answers. Mm. Um, sometimes we're like, God, provide peace, and here is a five-step plan for what peace looks like. Please <laughs> follow through on that. Um, but I... I've been experiencing more and more that the questions that I bring and the openness, God is never threatened by right. my wondering. Yeah. Um, there's room for doubt and for um, just not knowing. Yeah. And I think that we form a deeper sense of community when we have those questions together. Yeah. Um, prayer can look like just coming to God with a bunch of whys. Yeah. I mean, that's what the Psalms are. Majority yes. is like it's a bunch why, of why questions. and yeah. lamenting. Yeah. Um, and there's something too when we come to God thinking that there needs to be specific yeah. answers that actually brings us deeper into religion and maybe not deeper into relationship with God. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think the thing that feels true to me for like the what, what do we pray if we're if we're taking steps toward prayer, if yeah. that is because I, I love your idea of like let's actually ask the question first, like. Is, is, are you in the place right now where, where you're, you're to be one praying, or are you in the place where you're being held up by others right yeah. now? Uh, I think that's a great first question. But say, say we do want to take a step into that. Um, something that feels really helpful to me is um, it's a little bit of what we were... Um, it, it's, it's a hiding in plain sight thing about, I think, the way Jesus understood prayer. And so if we read the Gospels, this is so obvious that you might miss it. But it was also in the prayer that we prayed earlier uh, as, a, as, a, as a litany together. We, we, were, we were speaking these, like, these things we want to be true, these, um, these longings for life. And then we pray, help us to seek your will, God. Um, what I think is like this hiding in plain sight thing behind the way Jesus understood prayer, behind the way that prayer was, is that Jesus, his understanding of life was that God's will is not always done, right? Like, that's why he teaches us to pray God's will is done. Uh, that's why he's asking us to commit to being a part of that, because there are lots of things that happen that, like, are terrible. There are mm -hmm. lots of, there, there, is, there is evil in the world, and there is senseless suffering in the world, and there's, like, randomness and chance and luck that's just dumb and stupid and, and, and causes somebody pain, and, and no one was behind it, no one's at fault, but it still sucks, right? And there's all of these things that 
God's will for human flourishing, for peace, for connection, for, for uh, us to be at balance and able to handle what is coming at us and not feel overwhelmed or overstimulated. But his whole, like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Like, I will give you rest. Like, I think Jesus gets that that's not actually always the case. We don't always experience rest. We don't always experience God's will. And so we do need to pray. We do need to, like, it kind of it gives purpose to mm-hmm. prayer. Um, but I think it also, like, it doesn't leave you in a world where, like, if, if I don't pray, something won't happen, and then I, I'm guilty for not praying, you know? It, 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 it kind of situates you in that world where so much, there's, there's so many reasons that any given thing might happen. And so the why questions, you know, like, we can never answer the why questions because it's all so overwhelming. And yet... Can we, in the midst of that uncertainty, if we, can, if we can just own that, like, I'm feeling uncertain, I want to have control, I want to have answers, I want to know why this is happening, I don't, can God meet me there? Because there is a God that, it, that knows those feelings too. This God is not up there like, oh, guys, if you only knew the answer, you know, then you would be enlightened like I am, God, and you all would be fine because you could, you know, compute but your puny little brains, like, I don't think that's the way God is looking at us, right? Like, I think God is, is with us in this sense of, how could this happen? Mm-hmm. Like, the, the grief that we're expressing in that prayer, God is not separate from that. God is in the middle of that. And, and I, I think that, that that reminder, again, is sort of hiding in plain sight when we think about spirituality. God's will is not always done. I don't know, I, I, I do think that we we, uh, we often have pitched for us, if we've spent any time in American Christianity, um, like, I, I, I'm not sure if there's any recent historical events that have, um, that uh, would, would, uh, would suggest this, but we kind of get a little bit obsessed with authoritarians, right, in, 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 reli- in the religious world in America, and we kind of make out God to be an authoritarian. Like, every little thing that happens, God is that authority on top. And he's giving his seal of approval to, and he's a guy, he's, and he, he, is, he is, and he is strong, and you know, that perfect patriarch picture, right? You know, like all of that. And I'm not sure that God is an authoritarian. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that that's the case at all. But I do think that, I do think that we, we, that just sort of settles into us, and we start to believe that without even realizing that we're mm-hmm. believing that. And it's tormenting. It, it is going to put us in a place where prayer never feels right. Yeah. And I think that the sense that God is controlling or author- just some source of absolute authority, yeah. that drives us deeper into a need to be controlling mm. over others. Over other people, right, because we are doing God's work in that case. And when we see God as abundantly loving, that draws us more into this experience mm. of community um, I think that's where we see, like, we see the best of humanity in that, yeah. and we see some of the fallout of the worst pictures yes. of um, human action in the world out of the sense of a need for control, yeah. a need for security and safety. I, I think that is 100% right. I, I've been uh, listening to um, uh, a writer and speaker who we've mentioned before here uh, on, on Sundays, uh, a guy named Brian McLaren, and Brian McLaren has been reflecting, he's uh, doing a course right now reflecting on... Um, uh, 9/11 and be, it's 20 years since 9/11. Um, he, he's doing it with the, the religious historian Diana Butler Bass. Um, if anybody's interested in this, after I say, I'll, I'll you can ask me about it because there, there's ways that you can sign up for this course. It's really fascinating. But McLaren uh, said that he sees 9/11 and January 6th, uh, uh, 2021, this year, 
as bookends to a season. And he, argue, he, he suggested that like 9-11 is sort of this symbol of the vulnerability of our like false American exceptionalist bravado, the vulnerability of that shown from outside. Um, like we're not as impervious as we think. And then January 6th, it, and it bookends that same season because it shows the, uh, the, the, the vulnerability of our false American bravado, we're, we're exceptional from inside. It's like 9-11 is, is, is the threat from outside and, and January 6th is the threat from inside. And we just see what is knitting those things together is this idea that we, uh, we serve an authoritarian God and therefore we must operate as authoritarians in the world. That's what it would mean to be God followers. And I, I, th I think it's really important that we, that we identify that and we shift the narrative against that if we're going to be a part of true spirituality, if we're gonna be a part of something that is actually about healing and not about revenge, but about reconciliation and not about uh, nationalism, but uh, about unity. Well, the second really large question, if that wasn't large enough, yeah. um, maybe, maybe we, can, uh, we can get even bigger. W like, when we see things like this, when we're remembering 9-11, even right now, like in, in the midst of pandemic, another very collective trauma, something that we're not just experiencing individually, we're experiencing with a bunch of other people, where is God when we experience things like that? Uh, what do we make of that? How do, yeah. we, how do we make sense of like, responding to that question? Yeah. Just a little question. Just a little one, yeah. I just um, thought you'd, you'd, you'd like that. <laughs> so I think my, my gut reaction, at first this sounds too simple, but I think it's just really true, is that God is in the midst of community. Mm. Um, there's a documentary on Hulu right now. There's a few floating around, but um, about 9-11, and it's very story-driven, mm. and listening to people recount things, seeing video, you see and you hear that people were rarely alone and in the moments where they felt like they were completely isolated, mm. someone else came and was present. Mm. Um, and the course of things shifted. Mm. So I think that when we see the way that people's stories intertwine, when we see the way that community formed um, kind of as this unifying call yes. in the midst of it, I think we see God really profoundly there. Um, there's a picture that I've seen going around that is a picture of Jesus kind of holding the Twin Towers which is really interesting. Um, and I think that becomes kind of this yes and opportunity that maybe to complete this series of images, yes, yes, there yes. needs to be um, Jesus holding communities in Afghanistan and Iraq yes. that were absolutely um, destroyed by action after 9-11. There needs to be a picture of Jesus holding communities in the U.S. that were impacted by um, Islamophobia and hate crimes yeah. and increased surveillance. There needs to be a picture of Jesus holding those who are at Guantanamo Bay. Like the, yeah. Yeah. it goes on and on. It becomes this opportunity for yes and that any time that there is suffering, we can expect that Jesus is leaning in and is present. Um, mm. Whether I think it's hard for us sometimes to have an, an awareness of how that is taking place, yeah. um, but I think that it becomes this opportunity to really see the character of God, not as this removed person, yeah. um, this removed guy, yeah. um, but an ever, ever present loving spirit that is grieving and weeping um, mm. and yeah, just evident there. Well, and, and it really brings into focus um, how, how important it is how we respond 
to the pain that we face or witness in our lives. Pain, there is nothing like being hurt that can send you on like, you know, an intersection that can take you to really different places. Mm. You know, when, when, when you end up in that spot, faced with that intersection, pain can be something that can connect you so incredibly with somebody else, like, like, like nothing else in the world. I remember hearing uh, a speaker once say, if I, you know, have a bunch of people in a room and I say, hey, uh, raise your hand if you like soccer. <laughs> and it's like, I would raise my hand because I like soccer. And you found two people who like soccer and you put them together. And you say, talk a little bit. You're like, man, wouldn't they connect? But then he said, okay, if I'm in a room and I say, raise your hand if you have a daughter that struggles with an eating disorder. And two people raise their hand and you get them talking. Who connects more? You know, like, and I just think that is deeply, deeply true. Mm -hmm. um, pain has the opportunity to drive us into the like the most the the most foundational experience of God there is of like connecting with another human being mm -hmm. and seeing the image of God in that other person and allowing them to see the image of God in you and you feeling love and compassion increase as your story expands because their story is not a part of your story that is incredible and yet as we were saying before pain is also the thing that you can become so overcome by that all you can do is think about, you know, passing it on to the next person. And 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 often, right, we we don't even realize we're doing that. Like, I'm like, I'm passive aggressive. Like that's that's my worst version of it. You know, it's like I want to appear like I'm not trying to take my pain out on Haley, but I, you know, secretly <laughs> I'm just I'm seething with anger and it just comes out. And so on like a very small level and on a very big level, I, like we we have the opportunity to find God in this, but we also have the opportunity to end up in the worst places, again, the worst distortions mm -hmm. of what it means to be human. Yeah. What, um, uh, one more kind of question for a big general question for us to bat around is, um, what is now 20 years later after all of this? We're just in, we're in reflection mode. Um, we have another collective trauma that's even more fresh, right? To, that's even more collective, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like this is, this is the entire world facing pandemic. Where, like what's a Jesus response um, as we remember 9-11, as we situate ourselves in, you know, the, how, how, do we, how do we act in our current collective trauma? Yeah. I think some of this comes with seeking a motivation that is different than control or power or right. security. Yeah. Um, that when we re-remember uh, the events of 9-11 and different things that have taken place in the past 20 years on a similar scale, uh, we're able to see things from a scope that's outside of this, God bless America, mm -hmm. narrowing mm -hmm. in, um, that the motivations of compassion are absolutely, um, it's just a Jesus-driven response yeah. of how do we not lead and um, act out of our own self-interest and a desire for some type of control, yeah. but how do we sit in a humble place being able to pursue um, what the next best thing is out of a place of compassion. Yeah. Um, we see Jesus anytime he encounters suffering, like compassion is the force that drives things. Yes. And I think this operates on a very individual level and on a really big scale level of administrations and things like that. Um, it's interesting, I've been rethinking some of this language too around never forget. 
Mm. Um, when you look at the sheer number of people who have PTSD mm. from events like 9-11, the yeah. phrase never forget seems a little... It can actually be harmful. Yeah, yeah mm. um, that they don't... Those who are closest to any form of trauma or tragedy don't need a reminder to never forget. Yeah. It's a very embodied experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've been thinking about this ripple effect of loss, um, that there needs to be a remembering. If we're saying never forget, it needs to be a remembering of both the acts of compassion and the danger of violence, that we hold those things together. And remembering looks different based on your proximity. Yeah. So out of this desire to remember rightly and yeah. fully, yeah. I think that we can be driven into compassionate action. Yeah, I really like that. I, I think I especially like your yes and, your use of yes and earlier. I, I think that that strikes me as a very um, Jesus response. Anytime we are talking about the uh, pain that somebody is legitimately expressing feeling like a um, feeling themselves or feeling connected to because they witnessed. I think anytime we see that, we never want to be the type that will, you know, like, especially if it's, if, if it is something that is like so specific, um, we don't want to shame that person for not, you know, like, uh, directing that uh, more broadly or something like that. We want to, we want to say, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. God is with those in pain. And there's also those in pain over here. And there's also those in pain over here. Anything, I think a Jesus response right now is spreading the, um, the desire to be in solidarity with pain further and further and further and further. Yes. And always. Yes. Mm -hmm. And always. Yes, absolutely. You, that, that pain God is with and also this pain over here. Um, so I really, I, I think that that's a, that's a good, um, Thing to to hold as a, a as a model, and then, and then I suppose the only other things that um, that feel important to me in terms of a Jesus response is particularly to to zoom in on this this idea of revenge. Like, I think I think revenge is is a really really powerful temptation mm -hmm. in American life, uh, especially because most of us live you know at a at a level where re revenge for us is like you know, you, you, uh, you accidentally CC that person on your email, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there, like, revenge is, is kind of like, you know, generally lower stakes. Revenge is not like the Liam Neeson movie where, you know, I will find you and I will come and get you, right? Like, it, it's, it's much more like low stakes. But I do think that we glorify revenge. And I think that we, um, we tend to, um, we tend to paint it as, as something that will get us what we hope for and will give us solace or peace or something like that. And we do it in just really subtle ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's extremely important that um, if, if, we're to, if, we're, if we're to be people who are showing a Jesus response uh, to what the entire world is remembering this weekend, I think it is to say, yeah, revenge is out of the question. Revenge will not get us what we want. It is not gonna heal us. It's not going to make anybody feel better. And it's only gonna make things worse. And uh, we, we have the picture of that in Jesus on the cross. Like that, mm -hmm. that is, it is, here is pain coming at you from those who would blame you and your people for the problems in the universe. And Jesus refuses revenge. And that is like, that, that, that's, that's I think something that we can draw from Jesus on the cross that really speaks to, uh, to what we need right now. Revenge will not make any of us happy. Um, I, I just wanted to note that there's some really great stuff coming in from the chat you can see here too. Um, we appreciate everybody who's kind of shared like 
what, what was this like for you? It, it's, it's nice to kind of hear other uh, references. And also thank you to uh, Karen who, who uh, uh, searched the internet and found our New Yorker article that I was referencing earlier. So Karen, we appreciate that, that's great. Um, yeah, this is, this, is, this is so good to, um, again, the pace of life is so fast. Like how mm -hmm. do, can we even slow down uh, to have a moment to um, be a part of the larger world that is thinking about 9-11? Uh, we do hope that today has felt a bit like that for you. Um, Haley, as we bring it down for a landing, do you think you could pray for us before we close up for today? Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna lead us in a prayer exercise that we've done here before. Um, focusing, it uses a technique uh, called progressive muscle relaxation, but this is a very simplified version of that. So it involves tensing all of your muscles and then letting go and experiencing um, the release of that, the peace of that. So for the first part of this prayer, um, I'll lead us in just holding all of your tension from your toes up to your shoulders, just as tense as you can be. And then um, I'll guide us in being able to kind of experience a little bit more peace. God who sees us, you see the pain and the anxiety, the restlessness that we carry. And so as we tense our muscles, God, um, you know what this tension is like, and you sit with us, you weep with us, you grieve with us. God, the act of remembering can be so embodied, whether it is remembering the specific events of 9-11 or remembering the loss um, or tragedy or trauma that has taken place that this might stir up. You know the depths of grief of fear and anxiety. And so God, with this tension, we come to you and we bring to mind the things that, are we, that we are carrying right now that feel rather tense. And God, we let go. We relax. Even if it's just for a moment of rest, we know, or we are trying to know, that you are in the midst of all that is happening, that you bring about peace, that we may experience that in solitude, we may experience that in community, in nature. God, there are so many opportunities for us to feel grounded, and I just pray that we would have an increased awareness of those opportunities this week and this day in all the stress of day-to-day -day life, God, may there be moments that feel like this, that feel like rest and peace. And so we hold together these things, the beautiful and the ugly and broken, knowing that they coexist inside of us and outside of us in the world. And we thank you for your grace, for your abundant love, in your name, amen.